Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. I am really excited to preach today. I am very, I just, I feel full of the word of the Lord, which is a great feeling. Um, and, and my wife over the past 24 hours has just gotten all, the download of all the scripture that's on my heart that I'm not sharing today that won't fit in this message. Um, but I am, um, yeah, just excited. It can't, the Bible says more about this particular topic than just about anything else. Um, and, uh, so I would encourage you let today be just the first step along this particular journey. Um, Today is both an exuberant encouragement as well as a very serious warning. So we kind of get get two things today. Um, But how many of you guys like to be wrong? Right? (laughs) That that particular feeling is kind of, you know... uh, it's worrying, it's embarrassing sometimes, and you realize you're wrong. It's not something you want to go towards, something I personally like to just, like, I avoid that whenever I can of just, you know, I just don't want to deal with it. Yesterday, I was playing the most complicated board game that I know with five friends. Um, the game lasted, this game of galaxy domination lasted 11 hours. Yes, we started at 10 a.m. and we did not crown a winner until 9 p.m. Um, it was massive. Um, there were multiple rule books involved, and just the quick start guide was 24 pages long. So, <laughs> this is the first time that I had played this particular game before. Um, and I went the first seven hours not completely understanding the rules of the game to which I was playing. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I had to, I had to keep asking questions and, you know, they were, they were generous um, with their help. Um, but let me tell you, it's really hard to succeed um, when you're constantly doubting whether or not you're fully prepared for what's going on, right? Um, and that's what we're talking about today, doubt. Um, this is something that is um, uh, something we've all had to grapple with. I can guarantee every single one of us has experienced this thing. Um, do we really believe the things that we say we believe? Do we really believe this book here? Do we really believe the story of Jesus? Um, there's a French philosopher, Rene Descartes, or if you're in Britain, you pronounce it Rene Descartes. Um, he says, in order to determine whether we can know anything with certainty, we must first have to doubt everything we know. Rene used doubt as a tool to explore the world. Doubt is like his tool that he used the most. Um, and this is similar to what the founder of Buddhism says doubt everything, find your own light. And this seems logical and safe because it's a bad thing to believe things that are not true. It is, it's true that we, we don't want to have bad ideas. And so oftentimes we can use doubt as a tool to find the things that we're incorrect about and, and sort them out. 
Um, so we can listen to Rene Descartes and take on the attitude of a cynic and question everything. You know, we can doubt everything that anyone has ever told us, um, anything that we've ever believed to be true. Um, the scientific method is about questioning everything, right? Western society is built on the fact that if you can't prove it, right, you should, you should continue to experiment. You should continue to try it out. And doubt should be what you lead with. Um, and mostly it's because, like, we've been wrong so many times throughout history, right? It was a guy doubting previous models that led us to understand that the world is not flat, right? And that the world is not the, you know, center of the solar system, right? It was this scientific method of doubt that helped us not to use bloodletting anymore, right? And leeches and mercury, right? Um, and so because of this, the posture of a cynic and the posture of a, of a doubter, a doubt by default, is lauded in our Western society, right? We question our upbringing. We question our parents. We question our teachers. We question our church, question the Bible, question existence itself, right? And the question I want to grapple with today is, is a default posture of doubt something that aligns well with scripture or are there traps along this road? Okay. Does it work to be a Christian who defaults to doubt and unbelief in everything? Um, so we're going to start with Genesis three. Um, the serpent says to Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We see here at the first part, Satan casts doubt on what the Lord had said. First, with a really easy underhand question. Did God really say, you know? Um, and, the, you know, he's saying, did, did you understand it right? Did he hear it right? And the truth is, God did not say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden. God didn't say, don't eat from trees in the garden, right? And we see Eve corrects the serpent said, no, like there's actually just one tree that we're not supposed to eat from. Right. But here it looks like the serpent's being really helpful, right? The serpent is, is clarifying and asking questions. And at this point, if the conversation stopped, like this would be a plus, you know, like Eve thought about what the Lord said and clarified it in her mind and to the serpent. It's good interaction. <laughs> If we keep going, we kind of see that there's an agenda beyond the first question. Um, the serpent says, you will not certainly die. The snake is no longer questioning and clarifying and working out an accurate understanding of theology and truth, right? Now he's making his own assertion about reality and truth, right? And now there are two ideas in conflict. The serpent says, there's no way God said that. 
A loving God wouldn't do that to one of his creations. He's just telling you that to maintain power. He's trying to stay on top of the food chain. He's trying to maintain the status quo. Right? These are the lies the serpent tells in hopes that Eve's doubt will turn in to faith in what the servant, the serpent is saying. He's hoping that the doubt that Eve is experiencing will turn into faith in what the serpent is saying. In Genesis three, Eve's doubt is a place of danger, right? In her place of doubt, Satan hopes to guide her into believing something that is wrong. And I believe that this happens every day for each one of us, right? The enemy of our soul will use moments of confusion and doubt to lay traps, hoping that we're going to take one of his alternate routes, right? At each one of the crossroads in our lives, Satan's like looking at this signpost and like nailing up new arrows to it, you know, until it's like this, you know, there's so many different ways that we could go, right? And oftentimes we entertain doubt and we nurse doubt and we tolerate this state of doubt without realizing what a perilous position it is. Doubt is a trap, specifically doubting the things that God says. Because we can always find something to doubt in the words of God, right? Like the snake says, did God really say that? Would God really say that? Can man really understand God? Did the words get written down correctly? Did the translators translate everything correctly? Are we really interpreting the meaning right? Right? And those questions are good questions to ask, right? But those questions will never end because you can ask all of those questions for every single verse in this Bible, right? So please hear me. I am not saying that we should not ask questions. In, in our Bible reading plan this week, the commentator says, God's not afraid of your candor, right? God's not afraid of your questions, right? Any question that you have about God, about the Bible, or about Christianity, you should ask. We're not silencing questions here. We want to talk about it. We want questions. And by golly, God loves to reveal himself. God loves to reveal truth. It's why we have this miracle in the first place, right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> Apparently that was what I was supposed to say again. I was going to say this again. Any question you have about God, about the Bible, or about Christianity, you should ask. I just knew there should be some reiteration there. <laughs> I don't want to gloss over that. Thank you. It's <laughs> so funny. Whew. All right, don't be silent and let the doubt grow. Um, and while we're talking about doubt this morning, I want to take just a couple of minutes um, and mention a, a growing movement called deconstruction. Um, de the word deconstruction used to mean something very specific. Um, uh, it was in, uh, spawned by a postmodern philosopher um, named Jacques Derrida, and, and I would highly encourage anybody um, who as, um, 
has friends who are deconstructing or if you're deconstructing yourself, look into Jacques Derrida and see what he thinks about reality itself. Um, it used to mean something really specific, but now it's kind of morphed to become kind of a catch-all term for anyone who's begun stepping away from any sort of Christian belief system um, or any part of a Christian belief system, I should say. Um, now, in our modern day, deconstruction usually starts with somebody witnessing or experiencing very unchristian behavior, very unchristlike behavior or speech or something. That's almost always how it starts from somebody in the church, right? And that leads the person that's deconstructing to doubt one belief and then to doubt another belief, right? And then every belief one by one in Rene Descartes fashion, right? To ask, did God really say that blank is a sin? Or would God really send people to hell? Did miracles really happen? Is the Bible really reliable? Does the Bible actually matter for my life today? Right? And because deconstruction is often a response to bad Christian behavior, oftentimes those who are deconstructing don't share where their heart is with other people in the church until it's like, oh, I started deconstructing a year ago or two years ago. Like I started forever ago. I just didn't want to bring it up. I just didn't want to mention it, right? And because Christians in the church often panic when there's doubt and unbelief, right? Oftentimes we don't respond very well, right? We respond with, with shame. We respond with shutting down questions, right? If you are someone who describes yourself as deconstructing, I have a couple of things I really want to say to you. Number one, Christians really blow it sometimes. And the way that I phrase that, it sounds a little flippant, but I, I, don't, I don't mean that. Like there are some things that are very, very wrong that are done in the church, right? And sometimes the way that the people who who are in error respond to their mistakes is just as bad as the mistake itself, right? Like it's very unfortunate, right? You're completely right when you look at, when you look at things and say, there's something wrong there. Absolutely. You say that there's abuse or there's justice, injustice being done or there's selfishness or right? The church needs to do the work to respond and to resolve things in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ, right? And that's what we need to do together. We need to shine a big spotlight on the whole church and make sure that in unity and in love, right, we do things right. We do things worthy of the gospel of Christ. Number two, hold on to the testimony of Jesus, Think back to why you followed Jesus in the first place, right? Don't rewrite that story. Remember that story. Remember his goodness. 
Bible says that there's no way that anyone can call Jesus Lord without help from the Holy Spirit. So the, if you have called Jesus Lord in the past, you have had the Holy Spirit working in your heart. I would ask, remember that. Remember his goodness. There's a moment in John 6 when Jesus is saying some things that are really turning people off to his ministry. He just, first part of John 6, he feeds the 5,000. Second part of John 6, everybody's leaving him because he's saying some really troubling things, right? And he turns to his disciples and, say, and says this, you don't want to leave me too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He doesn't say, I accept what you're saying right now and I'm totally on board, right? He says, I have heard the words of life from you. And so I'm going to hold to that, even though what you're saying is confusing and offensive to me, right? I don't understand it right now. I don't get it. It seems wrong, right? But you have the words of eternal life. My life has been changed by you. I know what it looks like when you gaze at me. I know what it looks like when you touch me. You have the words of eternal life. When you're confronted with a reason to doubt, whether it's from somebody else's behavior in the church or something jarring that you read in scripture or a church tradition or a doctrine that you just have a hard time getting on board with, you can hold on to Jesus. You can hold on to Christ, right? Define yourself by a belief in him. Define yourself by, by, I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. A lot of stuff makes me mad. But no matter what, I'm sticking with Jesus. No matter what, I'm going to stick with him. I'm so glad that our theology doesn't have to be perfect for us to get into heaven. So glad that there's not just going to be one denomination up there. <laughs> right? Like, whew, I'm so glad I picked the right church. No, praise the Lord. I'm glad I picked the right savior. I believe that there's one name under heaven by which men are saved. There is one name, right? We're not following men. We're not following philosophies. We're following Jesus. All right. And then number three, for those that are deconstructing, I think you're in a dangerous place. And this is the warning that I have. Um, the social media platforms where deconstructing is, deconstruction is discussed are absolute landmines. You'll find people that look like they are in the exact same place as you are, saying the exact same things, feeling the exact same things, discontent with the state of the church or its traditional doctrines, but it turns out they've gone so far down the Rene Descartes road that, that they don't even believe in God anymore. They, they think this whole thing is, is fables and just, or just life lessons, right? Or that they believe that all religions now lead to heaven or that God is either unknowable or God is just a useful lie that we tell ourselves. You're not on peaceful, neutral turf. You're not on peaceful, neutral turf. And that's not to like insult people. I'm saying that there is a spiritual enemy who will use doubt, right? Doubt for really good reasons, right? 
in order to lead you onto any path that's not to Jesus. That's his goal. That's it. So we can't become the forever cynic when it comes to finding God. There's a war going on. And all the enemy has to do is sow enough doubt to get you to, to get you to just stay in that place of doubt and not commit your faith to Jesus. First Peter five says, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan is the deceiver. Jesus calls him the father of lies. And he's going to supply you with an endless stream of reasons to doubt. My five-year-old daughter loves to ask questions. Absolutely. And my wife and I, we homeschool her and we are all about her education. We want her to know absolutely everything in life, right? When we're leaving, we got to get to church today, right? We, at some point, we have to say, you have to trust me. You can't keep asking why you have to put your shoes on right now, right? You have to push it because we have to go to church. Why do we have to go to church? Well, because, you know, I'll show you the verse. No, I can't do that right now, right? At some point, you have to believe. At some point, you have to believe. Or at least act. I think that is belief. I think obeying and believing God without without everything is belief. You know, if you just, without questioning, without, oh man. All right. All right. We can't put God in a position where we we say, God, unless you answer every single one of my questions, I'm not going to believe in you. Right? There's not enough time for that. Questions are endless and God wants our devotion today. Because we've been given so much time and grace up to this point, up to 2022, we'll assume that we'll always have time to doubt and to deliberate. A few years ago, I had a student who went to a Christian home and then fell away from the Lord. And in 2020, I went to his funeral. I don't want to encourage waiting anymore. Tomorrow's not promised to anyone. We got to put our faith in Jesus now. All right. You might say, wasn't there a group of people in the Bible who were lauded, who were praised because they didn't believe everything right away? What they call the Bereans? We're going we're gonna to look at the Bereans if you've heard of them before. Acts 17. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek men men and women. Okay, (sighs) every time I hear about the Bereans, they're like this you know, arms crossed person of like, all right, yeah, we'll see about that kind of thing. That's not the attitude here. They received the message with great eagerness, eagerness. And then they're in the scriptures every day. They are in the scriptures every day to see if Paul, what Paul said was true. That's eagerness. Jesus says, if you seek, you'll find. That's what this is talking about. They were ready to seek. They were ready to seek. And by golly, as a result, many of them believed. They found. 
That's what we've got to do. We can't have our arms crossed. We got to lean into the message of the gospel and we got to believe it. We got to search it. All right. You guys ready for hard truth to swallow? I almost took this out. (laughs) It's true though. So we're going to say it. Here we go. Hard truth to swallow. Doubting God is sin. Doubting God is sin. Scripture says, believe and do not doubt. Nowhere in scripture is doubt encouraged. Nowhere in scripture is doubt encouraged. In fact, almost everyone who doubts is rebuked for it. Not believing the word of God that is presented to us is a symptom of the corruption and the rebellion that's inside of us. And when we're presented with the word of the Lord, it is our responsibility to hear and obey that word. It's not the responsibility of the person who is presenting the word of God to convince us beyond the shadow of a doubt. From that moment on, it's on, it's on us. Doubt and unbelief are sins to which each of us will be held accountable. And maybe our response is, how could that be a sin? No one has perfect faith and believes all the time, right? Yes, no one is without sin, right? We talk about how we fall short of the glory of God all the time. This is one of the ways. This is a picture of our brokenness right here. We doubt, which is why we say, God, forgive me for doubting. Forgive me for doubting you. Get to that. (laughs) No one is without sin, but praise the Lord that he's patient with our unbelief, right? Sometimes he says things like, oh, ye of little faith right? Or worse, how long shall I put up with you? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? But he's still so, so gracious. So gracious. All right, everybody take a breath. That breath that you just took is a representation of the forgiveness and grace and forbearance of the Lord. Oh, It's a grace for every sin and every rebellion you've committed. It's a grace for every act of selfishness and manipulation you've ever done. It's a grace for every bit of greed and lust and hate you have in your heart. It's a common grace that's available to absolutely everybody who has air in their lungs right now. You've not been judged yet. There's still time to receive forgiveness. And whether we're believing in Jesus or not, we have that opportunity today to believe, to choose him, to have faith in him. Okay, how do we wage war against the doubt in our mind? 2 Corinthians 10, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. All right. I want you to imagine you've got, not even imagine, believe. You have a weapon that has divine power. That's cool. Seems like something out of like, I don't know, fantasy game or something. You know, plus one acts of divine power. What does that look like? What does that look like? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 
and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought captive. It's okay to have the thought, did God really say, right? We're going to take that thought captive, right? We're going to make it submit to Christ. We're going to demolish anything that would come against the knowledge of God. With what? With our own human whatever? No. With these divine weapons of power, Ephesians 6 says we have the shield of faith that's given to us by the Holy Spirit with which we can extinguish every fiery dart of the enemy. That's what our divine power weapon looks like. Faith from the Holy Spirit. And so our job as warriors, as soldiers, as special ops units for the Christian faith is to work on our faith, to work on believing. And so our, warf our warfare can look like this. Be still and know that I am God. That is in direct contradiction to every argument and pretense that would come against the knowledge of God. Just be still and know that I am God. That, put that on your to-do list this week, right? I'm excited. We're going to talk about stillness and silence and all that stuff. Oh, man. We're going to just know that God is God. That's, an, that's the next series? Series after that? Next series? March. It's going to be good. <laughs> Don't hold off until then. <laughs> all right. There is hope for those who doubt. There's so much hope. And I hope you're getting that message from this whole thing, but we're going to kind of line it all up back to back here. Number one, Jesus is patient, right? For all the times he rebukes his disciples, ye of little faith and all of this, right? He forgives over and over and over. Wonderful. Number two, we can ask for faith. There's a man who comes up to Jesus and says, he needs help. His, his, um, somebody in his house is sick. And he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Right? And you talk about tension there. You can stand in that spot. That's a good spot to stand in. Right? The, the tension or the, uh, the sp spot of mystery where we just question everything in our lives, that's a dangerous spot. You know what the safest spot to be in? Lord, I believe you. Help my unbelief, right? Because <laughs> how much faith is required? Jesus says a mustard seed. He's like, just give me a little bit. Just give me a little bit and I can do it. I can do it in your life. I can, I can come through. I can show myself strong. There's a spot in scripture where uh, Jesus says he, he couldn't, do, uh, couldn't do any mighty miracles in Nazareth because there was no faith. No one believed. There's no faith, right? And I, I, I don't believe that that was a, a physical could not do. There's nothing that our God can't do, you know? I, I think God chose to work through faith, right? And if there wasn't going to be any faith, God's going to go find somewhere else where there is a mustard seed, a tiny little sesame seed, just a little tiny thing. And then number three, Jesus encounters people every day. Thomas is one of the 12 disciples, and he's 
not with the group when everybody else gets to see the resurrected Jesus. Like Jesus comes back from the dead and Tom's out going get Chick-fil-A or something. Like he comes back and everybody's like, you missed it, dude. You not believe what we just saw, right? Right, we call him Doubting Thomas because what was his response? He says, I'm not going to believe unless I feel the spots in his hands where the nails went in, or unless I put my hand into his side where the spear went in, which I think, ew, <laughs> right? But like, I am not going to believe until every sense in my body is convinced of this. And praise the Lord, Jesus is merciful to the cynical. Jesus is merciful to the doubting. I love this. I love this. Jesus appears a week later. And what does Thomas get to do? Puts his finger in his hand. Puts his hand in his side. What? And Jesus responds to Thomas and said, you believed because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. He says, boy, you missed out on a blessing here. You missed out on an opportunity for faith, right? Jesus is not, this story is not in the Bible as a promise for a physical manifestation to every, every doubter, right? That's, that's not what's being promised here, right? There will be those who believe without seeing. Our blessed hope is not that we would have all of our questions answered before believing. Salvation does come by faith. Faith in Christ Jesus, God's son, by believing in things you haven't seen, by believing God in spite of our questions, in spite of the excuses we have not to believe, right? But for those who are struggling with doubt, you can ask for an encounter with the Lord. You can ask for an encounter with the risen Lord. For those of us that are praying for loved ones that would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We can pray that those loved ones would have an encounter with a risen Lord. We can pray for that. Paul is on the road to Damascus to beat Christians up. And the risen Lord knocks him off his donkey, right? He has an encounter. There are, it's, it's mind blowing. Go, go check this out. There are thousands of Muslims that are coming to faith right now. There are thousands of them. And the reason they're giving is because they had a dream of Jesus. They had a dream. Jesus wants to, to reach out to the cynics and the unbelievers. And we can pray for encounters like that. I've experienced the miraculous love and joy and peace of the Lord. I've experienced his miraculous leading and guiding his forgiveness and grace. And that to me has been an encounter with the risen Lord. That I want to say my faith is unshakable now because of it, right? <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to put my, my faith in my faith, right? <laughs> that's, that's not, right? I, 
but by golly, that's what I'm standing on. God, I've seen your goodness. I've seen your faithfulness. You've reached out to me, even though I've given you no reason to, right? And you, you can pray for those encounters for yourself, for your family, for your kids, for your loved ones, for the world. We can pray for encounters.